Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to prepare you for Sunday worship and beyond. Join Pastor Wright and Vicar Leeper as they look at the issues surrounding our church, Christian life, and the world at large through the lens of Scripture. Each week, they will be guided by the upcoming passages that will be read and preached on this week, seeking to invite you into a conversation about the Word of God for you. Greetings and blessings. Welcome to another episode of Get Right for Sunday. We'll be looking at the text for October 4th, which is the 18th Sunday after Pentecost, and that text is St. Matthew chapter 21, verses 31 to 46. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Pat. I'm Vicar Leeper. I almost uh, upgraded myself there. The parable is called the parable of the landowner, which is, is interesting. And just a, a brief summary is that you have this landowner and he owns a vineyard and he rents it out to some tenants. Tenants work, they do what they they want to do. And the owner then says, hey, you owe me some, you owe me the fruit of my vineyard. And so in order to do this, he sends his servant. And the tenants beat the first servant, and then he, they, the owner sends more. Not only do they beat, but now they kill and stone. Mm-hmm. He sends more. They beat, kill, and stone. And then the owner gets smart and sends his son and thinks, this is my son. Of course they will listen to him. Son shows up, and you hear the tenants, this is the heir. Let us kill him so we can have the vineyard. And so that is the the, the parable. And uh, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those uh, vine dressers, the tenants? They will destroy the wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other tenants who will render him the fruits of their season. That's just huge. This is a, a big thing. And there's a lot happening. One of my first initial questions that both Vicar and I have been wrestling with before we started recording, what do the tenants think they're going to do or get? Right. <laughs> um, what was your example about the hotel? I, I really like this. I, so one of, one of the ways I was thinking about this is like, so tenants are, are people who are living in, living in a, or working in a property that isn't there. So I was imagining these people living in a, a hotel or another property and Imagine if you're living in a hotel and the son of the owner of the hotel comes and you think to yourself, huh, if we kill this guy, then I own the hotel. What? That's that's not how it works. No matter how you no matter how you slice this cake, even in the first century, that's not that's not how it works. You don't get to kill the son of the guy who owns it. And now you own it. Yeah. And. I'm curious, do the tenants think we've put in all this work, so this is ours, and how dare the owner claim his share? I, I think this is just fascinating. And this is also a very clear parable. It is. For how strange all of the people in this parable are acting, this is also one of the parables where the connections to the real world that Jesus is talking about are crystal clear, especially to us as hearers looking back and knowing the whole story. 
But it also appears that even the Pharisees and the chief priests know that this parable is about them. Yeah, verse 45. Now when the chief priest and the Pharisees heard his parable, they perceived that he was speaking of them and then sought to arrest him and eventually kill him. With this, though, the the, the, the parable, again, addresses this awkward situation. You have an owner, and he rents out the vineyard, and they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Right. Obviously, there's some contract. Renters are going to rent and do this, take care of it insofar as they're supposed to. But they're doing something, and the owner deserves the fruit of his land. Right. And we see the servants of the master are sent. They're beaten and killed. And when we put this in the context in which our, our Lord is talking about, of course, this vineyard is uh, God's gift of creation, God's gift of the, the church. But the people are Israel. Yes. And so what does God send to Israel? His servants. So we have prophets. And we know how Israel treated prophets. Jesus encountered this himself. He uh, he got driven out of his own hometown, and he remarked, this is how a prophet is received in their homeland, in their hometown. And Israel has a pretty bad track record with treating the messengers and servants of God. I'm thinking of Elijah constantly being on the run mm -hmm. uh, in Israel. I'm thinking of uh, Jeremiah talking about uh, the... The people turning against him and speaking ill of him and constantly wishing for his destruction. Uh, Israel would often go after and treat very badly the prophets that God had sent to them. Which is amazing because throughout the Old Testament, especially in the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Israel is often saying, yes, God, we will listen to you. Yes, we even delight in your law. We will enter in covenant. We will even be faithful to our promises. And I, I really think that uh, when they made these promises or these statements, they had their fingers crossed behind their back because it, it's not more than five minutes. They're complaining about what God's doing or not doing. They're finding ways to rebel. They're finding ways not to listen to uh, the prophet or, or whoever is giving God's word, they really do live on their own terms. And God, out of his gracious patience, continues to send prophets, messengers. He, even in this parable, he sends, actually, we have no idea how many he sends. At least, at least, I suppose, six. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, the point is not to tally up an exact number, but it's kind of ridiculous how many servants he sends and they keep getting uh, beaten and killed and stoned. And one of the interesting things about this parable is that it so clearly lays out the history of Israel, but it lays it out in a way that it kind of seems ridiculous when you hear it back to back. Like, because Israel is this vineyard and he sent so many servants and they keep treating them badly. They keep killing them. Uh, they keep, like, sheep to be slaughtered, uh, yeah. go the prophets of Israel. And it's almost crazy that God, or in this case, the master of the vineyard, shows them 
patience to keep sending these servants, and that the servants have enough courage to keep going to the vineyard. Yes, uh, they, they truly are, are sheep to the slaughter. And then uh, on the flip side, just the audacity of the tenants. Yeah. Hey, it's another servant. Let us kill him. Well, let's put this in the context of the of the Pharisees here, because this is this is history of Israel stuff. But these Pharisees, they know the history of Israel. That's why they kind of get that this parable is about them. But they know all about these prophets. But these Pharisees are not anti-prophet. Right. Uh, they they laud these prophets of Israel, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Matt, all of these uh, prophets that God sent. The Pharisees study them intensely, and their job is to lead the Israelites religiously and, mm-hmm. and spiritually. So it's almost like, uh, at this point, the Pharisees have heard of these servants being beaten up and killed, uh, and they look with disdain upon the people that have done it. But now, the vineyard master has sent his own son. And even at the end of this parable, even though the Pharisees perceive that Jesus is talking about them, they immediately start seeking ways to arrest him and kill him. They get it, and yet they still plan to kill the master's son. Yeah, I talk about irony, mm-hmm. just laid out. And it's interesting because they, they do get it, but they get it in such a way where now they have to turn back on themselves right. and protect their power, their prestige, their knowledge, because Jesus is a threat. And they're not giving him the honor of being the son of God or the fulfillment of the prophets and so on and so forth. And they're they're really going out of their way to, again, protect their power. But if they lose face in front of everybody, if they claim that, oh, our bad, we're acting like bad tenants, Yes, here comes the son. Mm-hmm. Let, 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 let's listen to him. They, they lose all that they have laid out. And, and again, this yeah. is all earthly thing. They think that they're in the line of the prophets. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing by lording over the people God's law mm-hmm. uh, to the point where they say, follow our example because we're doing it right. They do genuinely believe that they're doing right. the right thing here. I think... As well, looking at this within the context of the of the Pharisees and and thinking about what they what they plan to do, what they think they're doing. The crazy thing is when the when the sun comes, there is a cost. The sun comes to take something from them, from the tenants and from the Pharisees. Uh, For the tenants, he comes to take the fruit that belongs to the master. Christ comes to take something. Following Christ will result in loss. They will lose something. And that's what they see. Mm-hmm. They don't see what can be gained, right. which those who followed Christ did. Um, and those of us who now follow and worship Jesus as our Lord see. But even now, it, it requires a loss. Well, absolutely. And that flows into the other part of the parable in the text. Jesus, looking at the the Pharisees, makes this statement, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous 
in our lives. And then Jesus goes on to say that, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Whoever fails, whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. We have this, this aspect that, again, we have the kingdom of God given to us. And I would like to change the context of this parable just a little bit and bring us into it or bring the parable to us and look at the church. The church has been given this wonderful gift of Christ. We, as modern-day hearers, know the full story cover to cover that Jesus comes into our world to die for us. But how do we receive that? How do we receive the messenger? How do we receive the, these gifts? Do we look at the church, let it be as organization, let it be as building, and see it with our earthly eyes? We have to protect it. We have to do. We have to work. Uh, God does his stuff, but we're the ones that really do all the stuff. Well, how, well, how often do we think of the church as our church? Mm. Not that I think it's it's necessarily bad to think of uh, us as belonging to the church and this being our, our home, kind of like I might say that. But how much do we think, I built this? Mm -hmm. Whether physically building-wise or like my efforts are what keep it going. Do you know how much money I've donated to this place? I do not. Well, it's kind of those questions because we create that ownership <laughs> aspect. And because we have put something into it, it becomes our possession. And now we think we have ownership or, or even bigger say in what and how things work. We've put blood, sweat, and tears into this. Yeah. Um, and rightly rightly so. And that's good. And it's Absolutely. good to have, have ownership over our work. But it's also good to remember it's not ours. Yeah. Um, the word that we'll sometimes use here is is stewards. Mm -hmm. um, we work hard. We manage this. But it isn't ours. And the vineyard master, God, the fruits of our labor belong to him. And that's hard because guess what? That's a loss. That's something we lose. And it's so hard to let go of these things uh, to, to the point where even, even thinking about it, slowly the parable starts to make sense. Because when I first heard this, I thought, this is ridiculous. This is like being at your place of work. And then the son of your boss comes in and says, hey, you know, just want to check up on you guys, get the monthly reports. And you turn to your coworker and you say, let's kill him. <laughs> that, that escalated like, fast. Like, that's that's ridiculous. And I, I, I almost couldn't ground this. I couldn't, I couldn't understand. But when I think about what's at stake, what can be lost by this belonging to Jesus and not us, suddenly... For me, I'm a vicar, and I'm I'm pouring all of this this work into this church as much as I can. I'm going home exhausted, and when my year's up, that's it. I don't have ownership anymore, and I I get to to leave it in your hands. I get to leave it in God's hands, and all of that work. I don't get to say, but I worked so hard. Let me take the fruits of my labor with me, uh, because it's not really mine. And that's, that's hard for me to deal with, with my own pride, mm -hmm. um, with my own sense of ownership, but it's also free. Well, and, and that's where I wanted to go because I wanted to change that. And this work now becomes sacrifice. And it's not that you're 
forfeiting your work and just letting it go. But you actually have the freedom to work within this vineyard. Right. And now your freedom to work, your freedom to serve is for the benefit of neighbor, the benefit for the kingdom of God. And now it's not this narrow view, what's in it for me? Mm -hmm. What do I gain? Or in the aspect of uh, having the, the master's son come, what do I lose? What am I giving up? Yeah, It is all about gain. Because you're gaining the immensity of what God has gifted you with. Which again, is the fullness of his son. Which is the fullness of God. Which is the fullness of his work that you get to do. And we, we can't just leave it there where it's, oh, you get to come to church. You get to sing hymns. You get to offer your offerings. You get to serve on a board. You get to do X, Y, and Z. These are the things that we actually want to do. Mm -hmm. Because it's not, oh, we're Christians, this is what we're supposed to do. No, we're the church. And this is how the church acts. And the church is filled with the saints who are redeemed from their sinners, who then glory in the work of taking care of this vineyard, this local vineyard called Holy Cross. Yeah. We want to participate. We want to help. We want to give of our ourselves, our, our resources. And this is hard because, to be frank, I really understand the tenets. Mm -hmm. This is my work. You're not here. Why do you want my work? And I, I, I don't uh, understand the, the whole killing aspect. No. That, that no. goes far beyond. But I want to claim my work. Mm -hmm. I want to show off. I don't want to give it away. But how narrow is that? And really, how does that help you as even vicar or you as listener? I, I love these conversations and study, and it is my hope and true prayer that it helps you in the preparation for this coming Sunday. But if I just have this conversation or if I just read this to myself, what does that do for anybody else? Yeah, we have been given the kingdom of God. Uh, locally here in this place at Holy Cross, but we've been given it to produce fruits, fruits for our neighbor, fruits for our God. And that is a privilege, and that is a joy. And the joy comes not in the ownership of it, but in the work and the reward that Christ has given us. Thank you for joining us for Get Right for Sunday. We hope this has helped prepare you for Sunday and beyond. If you would like to join us for worship at Holy Cross Lutheran Church, our services are at 6 p.m. on Saturday and 8 o'clock and 9.45 on Sunday. That 8 o'clock service is live streamed on our Facebook page and our website. If you've enjoyed being a part of this conversation, please share this podcast so that others may benefit as well. Feel free to contact Pastor Wright or myself with any questions, comments, or concerns. We can be reached at getrightforsunday at gmail.com. Thank you, and we hope that you'll join us again next week to Get Right for Sunday again.